Father, we just thank you for the praise and the worship this morning. And Lord, we thank you for your atmosphere of love that surrounds us. And we just ask, Father, that you bless us this day with whatever word we can take away with us. Because we ask it in the name of Jesus. Amen. I'm going to talk to you a little bit this morning about a positive imagination. You know, it hadn't been too long ago that when you mentioned imagination, the church kind of, you know, done one of these things at you because it was so far out of our mental thinking. But without a positive imagination, things don't quite go good for us. Uh, <clears throat> we think in pictures. We don't realize it, but everything that we think, we see a picture. If I was a stranger here and I said, how do you get to McDonald's from here? And you would say, well, you go up here to 15th Street. And you would see 15th Street. And you say, go down there till you come to the stoplight where the Ford and Chevrolet house is. And you would see that Ford and Chevrolet house as you explained how to get to McDonald's. And you would follow it all the way down to McDonald's in pictures. And you're just speaking in pictures. Now, a positive imagination is a thing that we have to develop in our prayer life. When God invented all the animals, or created all the animals, he told Adam, he says, whatever you call this thing is what it's going to be. God didn't have to prompt him. He said, okay, Adam, what's an animal going to be that starts with an A? And Adam said, an ape. And he said, that's what it's going to be. Now, Adam, name me one that starts with a B. And he says, banana. He said, no, it can't be a banana, but that's a fruit. Think again. Bubba. No, it can't be Bubba. I'm saving that for the rednecks. <laughs> and he went through, and whatever Adam called that thing, it says that's what it is. That's what it is. Now then, we have always been kind of shy of anything that had to do with the imagination. Okay. Got the wrong scripture here. Hang on a minute. This is Genesis, the 11th chapter, verse 1 through 7. And it says, The whole earth was in one language and one speech. And it came to pass as they journeyed from the east that they found a plain in the land and they dwelt there. <clears throat> and then they said one to another, let us go make brick, burn them thoroughly. And they had brick for stone and slime for mortar. Now, here's something that I caught today that I've never seen before. They prophesied something here in this next verse. And they said, let us go build us a city and a tower whose top may reach into the heaven. And let us make us a name, lest we be scattered abroad on the face of the whole earth. 
They didn't know they was prophesying. And the Lord came down to see the city and the tower which the children had built. And the Lord said, Behold, the people is one. They have one language, and they have begun to do. And now nothing will be restrained from them which they have imagined to do. So the Lord scattered them abroad from the hence of the face of the earth, and they left off the building of the city. So they prophesied that God was going to scatter them, and he scattered them. And as I look up the word imagination, basically a lot of it's in the Old Testament, it always says an evil imagination. It never just says an imagination, it says an evil imagination. Imagination is something that God built into each one of us. It's part of our being, our imagination. But if that imagination goes the wrong way, then it's an evil imagination. I want to demonstrate something to you here. And I've picked Thomas Edison as a deal for my demonstration here. And this has to do with imagination. Thomas Edison didn't have that imagination. He went into his lab one day and he found a piece of wood and he threw it in there and he found him a rock. He threw that in there. Picked him up a coin that says, In God we trust. And he threw that in there. And then he shook it up. And what is this? Huh. What is this? I wonder what I could call it. I got an idea. I'll call it a light bulb. Now, He had to imagine what he was going to invent before he could invent it. See, God gives you an active imagination for you to do things. He said in Proverbs eight twelve, he said, I, wisdom, dwell with prudence and find out witty inventions. See, that's your promise. Witty inventions. I used to work for a guy who was the greatest guy i ever seen for understanding different things. And he worked for this company, and Pizza Hut came to this company and says, it takes us 20 minutes to bake a pizza. We want you to figure out how you can cut five minutes out of that and bake a pizza in 15 minutes. But he, this guy wasn't in the meeting when they said that. And they didn't like him. So the boss came to him and said, Pizza Hut wants you to invent something that would make a pizza in, 15, in five minutes. In five minutes. So he wasn't, he didn't have an engineering mindset. He was open to whatever God told him to do. And so he started thinking about, how can I cook this pizza in five minutes? That's unheard of. Takes 20 minutes in a regular oven, and I've got to do it in five minutes. 
And God gave him an idea, and he developed the idea, and that's where you got the five-minute pizza, Pizza Hut. He developed a thing that would do it in five minutes. You see, he wasn't restrained by the, his mindset of what you can do and what you can't do. He just asked God, show me. And God showed him. Now, Thomas Edison dropped out of school at an early age because the teacher says he's addled. He can't learn. Well, what they didn't realize was all the time that the teacher was trying to teach him, he was over here thinking all these things. And so he failed the test. He, <laughs> he didn't do too much. So his mother homeschooled him. And he's made the statement, my mother was making, was making, my mother was the making of me. She was so true, so sure of me, and I felt I had nothing to live for. Uh, for someone I must have, must have disapproval. His mother taught him at home and gave him approval. Thomas Edison had a thousand and twenty-nine patents in the United States. He also had patents in Germany and France and England, which they didn't even number. His imagination was stimulated on the good side. He didn't have an evil imagination. You do not have an evil imagination. We think in pictures. You give, ask God to challenge your imagination, and you can think of answers to problems that you couldn't do otherwise. God will let you do these things. I worked for this a guy, uh, this guy a while, and there was a dentist in Dallas came and says, "We need something to sterilize our dental equipment that doesn't ruin it." The way they do it, they put it in an autoclave and they bring it up to uh, a certain high temperature for an hour and it takes the temper out of their instruments. So they tell everybody they're doing it, but they just wipe it off with alcohol. And this guy came and he said, we need something small that we can put in the office. And so he said, okay, Jerry, you figure something out for you. Of course, I knew the technology that he was using on the five-minute pizzas. He said, use that technology. So we built him a toaster about this long and about this high, about this wide. We used his technology that God had given him. We could sterilize the instruments in three minutes at a low temperature. So they been the medical field that they are, they made him send it to Baylor University for testing. That's where you get your ratings and stuff. And they did everything they could to that little toaster. They wiped all kinds of diseases inside of it, spores, AIDS, hepatitis. They put it inside, they wrapped all the instruments in sacks and put it inside the sacks. Baylor 
run 1,500 tests on that unit and got 100% kill on all 1,500 units. See, when God gives you um, something to invent, your imagination has to go to work. But if we think, oh, yeah, you know, you don't want to get off in that left field, you're running yourself. We have hope energized within our hearts, that's our mind, by pictures of imaginations of things that you hope for. Satan is a great imitator of the things of God. You can see something that Satan's doing. And you can know that he's an imitator, so there has to be a reality somewhere. You can't imitate something that's not a reality. So God gives us reality of things, like healing. That's our reality. Satan comes in and says, listen to all the side effects here on TV. Why would you want to take medicine that makes you worse off than what you got? But you see, he says everything will work for somebody else. But, you know, healing's not really for you. He tries to imitate God's healing by telling you different ways of doing things. When the reality is, the healing is yours. Now, do I have a hold to all of that? No. Not yet. But I'm working on it. In uh, 2 Corinthians, ten five, <clears throat> it says, Casting down imaginations and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God and bring into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ. So we look at that and we say, Oh man, if that's imagination, I've got to cast it down. That's not what the scripture's saying. He said, casting down imaginations and everything that exalts itself against the knowledge of God. The church for so long has put a lot of stimulations in the word of God that doesn't belong there. Casting down imaginations, they say you can't, you can't, do that imagination thing because God said cast it down. No, God didn't say cast it down. He said only if it exalts itself against God. <clears throat> imagination is a God-given thing that he put within us. He put that within Adam and from Adam on. Imagination has been with us. It's part of our being. It's part of our, our thing because he said let us go down and make man. In our image, after our likeness. Everything that God has, he has put within inside of us. He's left nothing out. Now then, Adam and Eve messed up. Eve was deceived. But Adam was disobedient. Eve... If Eve had been the only one that took a bite of that fruit, 
God would have had a remedy. But because Adam was disobedient, and he bit it, God put the whole thing back on him. Because it says, by the obedience of one, sin entered. But by the obedience of another, sin was destroyed. You see, Jesus was obedient. He was obedient to the things of God. And he destroyed the works of the devil. When he died on the cross, it says he destroyed the works of the devil. The word destroyed, if you look it up in some of its meanings, it means to shatter into pieces. It don't mean break. It means to shatter into pieces. So we have an imagination that's part God. God gave us this imagination. We just don't use it. Jesus was a prime example of this. Because the Jews was looking for a Savior based on a picture of how they thought he was going to be, they missed it. Their picture of, of the Messiah was a guy coming in riding a white horse with a sword in his hand, and he was going to chase all of the infidels out of the land of Israel. And when Jesus came in talking peace, that wasn't what they wanted to hear. Because they had a picture of a war going on. And it didn't work that way. Many of us have a, a Thomas kind of faith. Unless I can see it, I don't believe it. You know, Thomas, unless I can put my finger in, the, in holes in his hand, I'm not going to believe you guys. And see, the church has fostered this belief within us. If we don't see it, it can't happen. The Holy Spirit, when it started falling on the church and it's falling on every denomination that there is, they fought against it. I remember Bob Mumford saying one time, there was a song in the hymn book that said, Oh, for a thousand tongues to sing the glory of God. He said, I got one more and they kicked me out. In Proverbs uh, thirteen twelve, verse twelve says, "Hope deferred makes the heart sick, but when the desire cometh, it is a tree of life." You can't have hope without your imagination. Imagination is the basis for hope. You have to picture and see it, or you will have hope deferred. Hope deferred means the, uh, to make sick. Deferred means a prolong to develop. And see, that's where we fall short. We, we fall short of being steadfast in what God wants us to do, regardless of the circumstances around us. Because, 
Like they say, we're the microwave generation. You put something in the microwave for two minutes, and you sit there and patting your foot waiting for it to happen. You can't wait. You put a couple of pieces of toast in the toaster, and you're sitting there wondering, what's taking that thing so long? And see, we try to do our religion that way. God tells us that we have healing. And we're sick. And so we got, oh God, I'm sick. Heal me, Lord. Heal me. But we don't have a picture of being healed. We have a picture of that little tablet in the medicine cabinet. Lord, if you don't heal me, I'll have to go get one of them pills. You know, over in Genesis, there's, a, there's another, I think, a funny thing. Talking about uh, God, you know, uh, things just jumping out like the light bulb, just jumping out. And here it says that when Moses, uh, this is in Genesis the 32, chapter 32, verse 17. And when Joshua heard the noise of the people as they shouted, he said to Moses, there's a noise of war in the camp. And he said, it is not the voice of them that shouts for mystery, neither is the voice of them that cry for being overcome, but it's the noise of them singing do I hear. And it came to pass, as soon as he came out of the camp, he saw the calf and the dancing, and Moses' anger was kindled hot. And he cast the tablets of the stone and break them beneath the mount. And he took the calf which was made and burned it in fire and, sm- and ground it to powder. And Moses said to Aaron, What did these people do to thee, that they, yet you made such a great sin? And Aaron said, They said, Make us a God. And they brought this gold and they chipped it up. And I just threw it in the fire and out jumped this calf. It doesn't quite happen that way, does it? See, lots of times we don't want to take the responsibility for what we're doing. We just hope that, well, I'm sick. I hope that healing just jumps out and grabs me. Sometimes there is a time frame involved where you've got to get down and you've got to believe. All things are possible to him that believes. All things are possible to him that believes. If you have an active imagination, a picture of what you want... You will have, if you don't have a picture, you will have a hope deferred. Sometimes we receive a great word. A prophet will stand up and say, let's set the Lord for you, like he did this morning. Two of them come up here and prophesied. But if we can't picture that taking place in our mind, that prophecy will never come to pass in your life. I've had a lot of prophecies over me. Some of them I remember and some I don't. But the ones I remember, I say, God, you said. You said. Now, some of these prophecies are, are 20 years old or better. God 
does not lie, and God does not tease. If he told you something's going to happen, it will happen. It will happen, won't it? Yeah. You know, I've, I've had prophecies over me that came true within, you know, a couple of weeks or so. I, I was sitting right back there one day, and Mike was up here. And he said, I see a gavel falling and a verdict of not guilty. Now, what Mike didn't know was that in the business I was in, we had got into some trouble that we had nothing to do with. And we got into a political battle with the law. Is over in Clovis, New Mexico, and we had, we was working in building biodiesel plants at that time, and there some stainless tanks over there that we took and went to a place that was building biodiesel, and said, you want these tanks? And they looked at us and said, yeah, we'll take them. And we said, well, you can't have them until the city of Clovis releases them. And their engineer came out and said, these tanks are no good to us. And so they were sitting outside, and we told them, no, you, you know, the city has to prove for you to take them. Well, this guy got a little anxious, so he went over and loaded them up and took them. And it was a political thing because another guy wanted these tanks, so he went to the city and said, these people have stolen these stainless tanks. The time that they accused my partner, he was in Tennessee working on another plant. I was up here in the office. I didn't have anything to do with it. And we had tried to, we had sent a check over there to pay for these things, and they had, we couldn't find the guy to take the check. And this rocked on for a while, and finally we said, we better get us a lawyer. So we went over and found this lawyer. I don't have much respect for lawyers. And we took him a check and said, here's the check. We've been trying to pay for these tanks. And so he took the tank over and he said, it's too late. They've got a warrant out for your arrest. And so my partner and I was arrested in Clovis, New Mexico, handcuffed, taken into the, the processing area where we had to list everything we had on, including the color socks that we had, because, they, you know, they're going to... my thinking was, here comes the, the orange suit, you know. But because the judge says they're not a risk flight, we're going to let them out on their own recognizance. And so that rocked on for a while, and we would go over there and for arraignment, and we'd sit down, and the prosecuting attorney would say, well, we don't have enough evidence yet. We need to postpone this arraignment. And that went on for three times. We was postponed three times. And then <clears throat> the last time we went over there and <clears throat> sat down, the prosecuting attorney says, we can't find any connection with Mr. Wilburn in any of this. And we want all charges dropped against him. And the judge says, they're dropped. Record it. 
I was looking at 10 years in prison and a $20,000 fine if I'd have been found guilty. But they looked at my partner and they said, you know, he lives here in New Mexico. We'll have a better chance of hanging him. And so they did. In the trial, there was five witnesses. Four of them stated that he didn't have anything to do with it. And one of them says, I think he did. And the district attorney was a pretty sharp little old lady. So she threw in the conspiracy theory. All of these are in cahoots. They all are to be on trial up here. And so my partner, who was in Tennessee, was found guilty. He was fined, I forget how much, but they, you know, they gave him probation. He was a deacon in a church, and that probably hurt him more than anything else. He had to resign as a deacon. Then he had to go report every week to this guy. And when he left Portales to go to Clovis, he crossed the county line, so they had to go to the, his parole officer and say, I need to go to Clovis. And they would give him a written excuse to go to Clovis. And that happened for two years. And each time the, the parole officer says, this is the stupidest thing I've ever heard of. Because they knew this guy. He was honest. But the thing I was talking about, he said, I see that gavel falling, and you're not guilty. And that's the way it happened. Now, I promise you, when he told me that, I didn't let that one slip. I had a picture of that gavel. It took about two or three weeks for that gavel to fall, but I had a picture of it falling. If you don't have a picture of what's going on, then you will have hope deferred. <laughs> hope deferred just simply means a prolonged, prolonged development. Hope deferred means that you've given up on what God told you. You've given up on what God told you. You have to imagine in your mind, you have to get a picture of this thing happening, which brings hope. Without a picture, you can't have hope. It won't last. But when you can see it up here, and you start looking at that picture, then hope springs up. Hope is the evidence of things, you know, that... Brings faith. You have to have hope. And this is a godly hope. It's not like wishful thinking. You know, the words change. And here in the United States, we say, we hope we do this or hope we do that. It's wishful thinking. But when it says hope in the Bible, it is a godly type hope. And then faith will come. Faith is the substance of things hoped for. The evidence of things not seen. We call those things into existence that are not happening. That's one of the promises of God. He called things into existence without, before they ever happened. 
Nothing happened that he didn't call into existence. And we have to do the same thing. We have to begin to call that thing into existence. We see a picture of what we want. God gives us a godly picture. And we begin to call that thing as if it were. I see the end of this. This end of this thing is what we want. And as we begin to get that picture, then hope springs up. It's not hope deferred, but it's hope with an active ingredient in it. And as that active ingredient begins to build, then faith begins to build. And then, bam, things begin to take place. Our problem is, we're like watching that piece of toast. We want it tomorrow. But it doesn't necessarily happen that way. It could. God can do anything he wants to. It could happen tomorrow. But more than likely, there's a part that we have to play. We have to be able to say, okay, God, you said it. I believe it. I can see it. And I have hope that that's going to take place. And then, wow, faith begins to build. And you can read any of these books of of great people that was around the turn of the century. They all have hope. They all have faith. They all have faith. And that faith comes from hope, and that hope comes from your imagination of seeing in pictures. If you can see it, you can have it. If you can see it, you can have it. If you can't see it, you say, ah, I'll believe it when I see it. You're not going to get it. You have to get things in God's order. You have to, in your imagination, which he gave you, that's part of your being. That was indwelt in Adam when he was created. Everything that God had, let's make him in our image and after our likeness. And give him dominion over the whole earth. Give him dominion over the whole earth. You have dominion over the whole earth. But why don't we see it? We can't keep our hope up that much. We get tired. And if, if, if any of you never get tired of hoping... There's lots of things that we give up on because we get tired. Physically tired. You're mentally tired. You're physically tired. You're saying, God, why is this not working? But you have to cast that off because that's one of those evil imaginations. And God didn't give you an evil imagination. He gave you an imagination that's active to bring hope. To bring faith. To see that something is done according to what he told you. If he told you, he will do it. God does not lie. And God does not tease. If he said it, he'll do it. One place in the scriptures it says, If you can stop the sun from coming up in the morning, and the moon from giving light at night, then you can change my covenant. Now, I'm older than most of you in here. 
The sun has always come up every morning that I can remember. God's covenant stands sure. He does not lie and he does not tease. If he's told you something by a prophet, if he's told you something by a prophet, you have to stand on it. But our problem is if it don't come to pass, we run some to and fro looking for somebody else to give us a word. As soon as we get that word, man, we're on top of the cloud for about two weeks, and then I need another word. Well, what'd you do with the last word you had? Nothing. You've got to see it. And when you see it, you got it. Father, we thank you for being so kind to us. Lord, we thank you that we are sons and daughters of God and that we can have whatsoever we saith. And Father, we thank you for that promise. Help us, O Lord. Help our unbelief. I believe, but help my unbelief. And we thank you for that in the name of Jesus. Amen.